China's game has been to be able to cut the salami, as they say, so that it, it's never quite at the threshold uh, that will cause an armed response. But nonetheless, it pushes their claim a little bit further each time. On Triple J with Tom Tilly. If you had to guess where World War Three might start, where would it be? The South China Sea? Well, it would be right up there. For the last few years, China's been angering its neighbours by slowly expanding its presence in the South China Sea. They've even built islands in that sea area and landed planes there. They say the area's always been theirs, but overnight those claims got knocked back when the International Court says said they've got no legal claim to the area. Now, the opposition defence spokesperson here in Australia is talking tough about standing up to China by sailing our ships and flying our planes into the area. Sound intense? Well, it could be. So that you can get your head around what's actually going on here, Stephen Stockwell has somehow managed to make this crazy geopolitical mess easy to get your head around. The South China Sea does what it says on the box. It's the sea south of China. And down in between Vietnam and the Philippines and north of Malaysia, there's a heap of islands, thousands of nautical miles from the Chinese mainland that China's been building military bases on. And that's one of the controversies, is that China is claiming small specks that barely poke up about the high water mark. This is Ewan Graham. He's going to help us understand what the hell China is playing at. I'm the director of the International Security Program at the Lilly Institute. China says almost all of the South China Sea is its territory, but other countries like Vietnam and the Philippines say bits of it are theirs. This has been going on for decades, occasionally breaking out into the odd fight. But no one has been killed in a serious armed military conflict since the 1980s. Over the last two years, China's pushed harder into this region and reclaimed land on what used to be coral outcrops, tipping cement on them until they've got something to build on. They now have poured enough that they've got large military-grade runways, um, deep water ports, lighthouses, barracks, you name it. They bear very little relation to the uh, minuscule natural features that were originally underneath. The Philippines got so sick of China's territorial claims over what they saw as their zone, they took a challenge to an international court in The Hague and overnight, they won. What we found in the, in the Hague judgment was a very clear view that China's so-called nine-dash line claim didn't have a legal leg to stand on. Obviously, the Philippines are pretty stoked with this outcome, and anti-China activists celebrated by releasing a heap of balloons over Manila Bay. We call on those concerned to exercise restraint and sobriety. While the Philippine Foreign Minister, Perfecto Yase, doesn't sound as excited as those activists, I'm sure he is on the inside. He's just looking forward to getting this dispute sorted out with China now. With a view of promoting and enhancing peace and stability in the region. Chinese people will not accept the result and all people around the world who uphold justice will not accept the result. China's not having a bar of this and they've come out pretty quickly and said they're not listening to your fancy international court. This is China's foreign minister, Wang Yi. China's non-acceptance and non-participation is to safeguard international rule of law and regional rules. Now the farce is over. It's time to get back to the right track. It is vital that we not only talk the talk, but we need to act and be seen to act to support the system. 
Stephen Conroy, the Australian opposition's defence spokesperson, isn't pulling his punches today. On RM Breakfast this morning, he said if China doesn't respect this decision, we should send in the Air Force and the Navy. Australia should authorise its forces to both sail and fly over the areas of the South China Sea. Our Foreign Minister, Julie Bishop, has been a little bit more restrained. We urge all parties to de-escalate tensions, not take any action that would uh, provoke or increase tensions. I am rather surprised to hear Stephen Conroy talk about military action at this point. Ultimately, no one knows how far they're prepared to take it. Ewan Graham from the Lowy Institute says China's plans for the South China Sea are still kind of unclear. But bottom line, I don't think the Chinese themselves know exactly where they're going with it, and that's the major part of the problem. The area that China is trying to claim is in this huge, mostly unregulated fishery, and there's a heap of oil and gas around there as well. I don't know, maybe that's got something to do with their interest. China's game has been to be able to cut the salami, as they say, so that it, it's never quite at the threshold uh, that will cause a, an armed response, but nonetheless, it pushes their claim a little bit further each time. Triple J, hack with Tom Tilly. Stephen Stockwell reporting on the text line, I would side with China over any of the others involved. Someone else says... I don't think there will be a world war. Countries are too invested in one another. Also, wars are very expensive. I'd love to get your reaction to this development in the South China Sea. Send us a text 0439 757 And it is complex, so if you have a question about it, you can ask a question of our guest, Malcolm Davis. 1300-055-36 is the number. Malcolm Davis is a security expert and a China expert from the Strategic Policy Institute. Uh, Malcolm Davis, thank you so much for joining us. If you were to guess where World War III might start, would this be a good place to look? Well, I think um, it's one of two potential places that we have to be worried about. The South China Sea is certainly a high-risk area given what's happening uh, and given the fact that it's a vital interest to China, uh, but it's also a vital interest to the United States and to other countries, and particularly to the other claimants. The other area I would lose sleep over, for example, would be the growing tension between NATO and Russia over the Baltic states. But let's focus on Mm. China and the South China Sea. Yeah, well, it's been bubbling away for a while and it's one of those stories you you read about in the newspaper. It pops up every now and again when, I guess, usually China develop more land in that area or or, or land another plane or or make a move. Um, How big a development is what we've seen in the international core and what impact could it have? I think it's very important because what it does is, is it legally invalidates China's principal mechanism for claiming control of the South China Sea, and that's the nine-dash line. China has been using this mechanism where it basically has a map showing nine dashes around the South China Sea and claiming that the South China Sea is historically theirs. Well, the International um, Permanent Court of Arbitration has basically said that has no legal basis. So in one fell swoop, that has blown that particular legal me- that particular mechanism by China uh, out of the water, so to speak. And China now really doesn't have a legal basis to support its claims. Yeah, well, the, the Labor Shadow Minister for Defence, Stephen Conroy, has been talking really tough. Uh, he's come out saying that we're failing the test of supporting international law by not standing up to China's bullying. He says we should be sailing boats uh, into the contested areas and doing flyovers. Uh, one person on the text line says, send the shadow Minister Stephen Conroy on the plane or ship sailing in the vicinity of the contested areas. What do you make of his reaction? 
I think what he's referring to is what's known as freedom of navigation operations, which is to sail a naval vessel or fly an aircraft through the 12 nautical mile limit around the disputed territories. And each piece of territory automatically has a 12 nautical mile um, uh, territorial zone. And what he's saying is by flying or sailing through that zone, you demonstrate uh, firstly that um, Australia sees freedom of navigation through the international waterways as important. We don't recognise China's claim that it controls those CNR spaces. And so I think on the one hand, he's he's basically right to say we have to reinforce international law and freedom of navigation of the seas. But on the other hand, he's come over as, as a little bit aggressive yeah. at a, de- a delicate time. And so it's it's more about nuancing the message than the message itself. Do we really want to piss off China? Well, it's not a case of pissing off China. I think we have to stand up for international law. And here the International uh, Permanent Court of Arbitra- Arbitration in The Hague has made it very clear that China is violating international law international law. And one of the key things that Australia strongly supports is a rules-based international order. And so therefore, if we support that, well, we have to actually make clear that we take steps to to demonstrate that support. Have we done that already in some ways? Some people were pointing out that we had um, sailed through the area, but not as close as Stephen Conroy was suggesting. I think that's accurate. And also we haven't been as visible in doing so as, for example, the United States has. So how close have the United States come? They've gone within the 12 nautical mile zone, but at the same time they did it as innocent passage, which is a different uh, approach to a freedom navigation operation. What sort of ships were they sailing through there? They were sailing uh, naval vessels, so it was a destroyer in both, in both occasions. Mm. On the text line, wars may be expensive, but some countries have learnt how to profit from them. Uh, someone else says China will keep it and slowly tank over the region, just like Tibet. Dave from Brisbane, you've done a lot of reading on this topic. What's your concern? Um, just, uh, it's China's, if they annex the South China Sea um, and, uh, you know, there are all the resources in there, it's really going to affirm their power status and America won't stand for that. Do you think that's what it's all about, the, the resources, or, or it's about well, geopolitical power? There's 800 billion barrels of oil off the south coast of Vietnam. In um, China, at the present time, import a lot of their oil. If they have those resources to work with, mate, it's not going to stop the gain to be the new world power, and America will not go down without a fight. All right, thanks for that point there, Dave. What do you make of that, Malcolm? Well, I think there's a number of different dimensions here. Um, your, reader, your listeners may be aware that China is promoting a concept called the One Belt and One Road. And these are essentially the 21st century maritime Silk Road and the Silk Road Economic Belt. And the 21st century maritime Silk Road, in effect, starts and ends in the South China Sea. And it's an essential foundation for China's rise. So if China doesn't control the South China Sea, it can't effectively develop the 21st century maritime Silk Road. So from a geostrategic perspective, the South China Sea is absolutely vital to China. It has to control it. And I think in terms of military dimensions, um, the South China Sea is an essential aspect of what's known as anti-access narrow denial, which is China pushing the ability of the United States to intervene along China's borders further and further away from China. 
And so once again, if if they back off in the South China Sea, they lose that vital air and sea space. So in that, in both of those instances, I don't see China backing down on this. All right, on the text line, I'm more worried about the rise of overzealous China's Chinese nationalism. Someone else, oh, overzealous nationalism here than China. Uh, Jacob from Tassie says, Australia should not bite the hand that feeds us all. Interesting point there. Malcolm, great to have you on the show explaining that in, in relatively simple terms. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tom. That's Malcolm Davis from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute.